0: From Psalm 119. Oh Lord God, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would deal bountifully with your servants, that we may live and keep your word. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things about your law. We are sojourners on the earth, and so we ask that you will not hide your commandments from us. Our soul is consumed with longing for your your rules at all times. You rebuke the insolent, the accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from us scorn and contempt that, that we have kept your commandments, your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against us, the powers of this world set against the the church, your servants will meditate on your statutes, on the the full message of your word. Your testimonies are our delight. They are our counselors. We ask that you would help us to listen to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... um, Years ago, uh, I set up a blog page. There is a link on the church's website. And so, what happens is at some point before I leave here today, um, I will post this audio to SoundCloud. uh, And uh, I have it set up so that that will also connect to um, Apple Podcasts. There's an Apple Podcast that is my channel. I I don't know. I just click buttons, and there it is. And uh, um, and so you could, uh, if you are a person who uses Apple Podcasts, you could actually subscribe to that channel, and the recording of this is going to show up uh, in that feed every time that it posts. You'll also get the sermons. I post them, them there, and uh, so for whatever that's worth. Um, on the, the blog page, which is... Uh, L O Tritons, we created it when we lived in Lake Orion. lo Tritons, plural, at blogspot.com. Um, you will have a uh, a player will come up, so that you could just click right there and you could listen to the the, the class there. Um, and right below that, there will be the handout. Uh, it, will look a little bit different because it kind of, I think they call this the Boolean curse where you go from you know, one uh, format into another format. And you know sometimes things get a little bit hinky or something. But uh, on the whole, it, it should look about like what you have there on the sheet, except you'll scroll through it instead of flip pages. So if you miss a, a class um, and you want to, uh, to see what happened or hear what happened, um, you, you can do that uh, right there. So, any comments or questions before we get started on Romans? All right. Then, we got, oh, yes. All right, so WCRF, uh, a download, an audio download of the Book of Romans, Um, and uh, um, so you would look up WCRF on Google, and uh, and then, or whatever search engine you use, uh, and um, kind of look around, and hopefully there's a link there that will be obvious, and you could download the Book of Romans and listen to it. yeah, there, there are other ways to do that, too. Uh, Bible works, but then I think you have to do a chapter at a time, and you have to start each chapter uh, when you use that. Um, I, do any of you listen to the, uh, the Lutheran Hour? Um, I've been very fascinated. Um, Michael... Uh, da, 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 da. I'm blanking on the, the, the speaker's name. Uh, but uh, I've been really fascinated by what he's been doing um, with his preaching, uh, he will kind of start out often like with a little bit of a story that kind of introduces the idea, but he is taking long periods of time to uh, to read or to at least um, paraphrase big sections of scripture. The idea being, you know, that, that we're listening to the, the larger story. Um, I thought today 's he 's going through the Gospel of Mark right now. I thought today 's was particularly good uh, in light of uh, Black History Month. Um, not that there was you know, kind of the you know the black white thing going on then, but there there were ethnic tensions, um, Jews and Samaritans and romans and and uh, um, and it kind of gets into some of that um, as he as he tells the story from from the book of Mark. Uh, starting with the feeding of the 5,000. And there's a little bit at the end where they pick up 12 baskets. The Greek tells us that that's actually a particular type of basket that the Jews used. So 12 Jewish baskets. And he took that all the way through several more events to the feeding of the 4,000, where they pick up seven baskets. But again, it's a particular word. It's the type of baskets Romans would use. I think there might be a message there for those who have ears to hear. You know, So um, that's LHM.org if you ever want to check out the Lutheran Hour. Um, that is part of my uh, worship life, if, if my worship life is working. Um, I, I will get up uh, early on Sunday morning, and while I am uh, making and eating my breakfast, I listen to the Lutheran Hour because... Going to church as a pastor is not the same thing as, you know, even preachers need to listen to the word. All right, so we are in Romans chapter 1, and if we are to have any hope of getting through this at all, we need to get going. Um, I know I'm the problem. I get it. It's it's okay. Um, Romans 8, Romans 1, starting with verse 8. First... I give thanks to my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in the whole world. One of the things to notice uh, in all of Paul's letters is that he often begins his letters by giving thanks for the people to whom he writes. There is always, well, there are a couple of letters where there's not so much gratitude you know, he's in a kind of a conflicted relationship with the Galatians. You know, that one's a little bit rough. Um, but uh, on the whole, he, uh, he, he's like, I thank my God for you, you know, in my prayers. Night and day, that, that type of a thing. And then he will quickly follow that statement um, that he's praying for the recipients of the letters. He continues. For my witness is God whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I mention, or I remember you always in my prayers, asking or or maybe begging that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So I was thinking about this and, and the question that came to my mind is, why might it be beneficial to follow Paul's example connecting thanksgiving to our prayers when we're dealing with others? What do you think about that? Why might it be beneficial? Yeah.
1: Well, for one thing, if you're giving
0: thanksgiving
1: for someone, it's hard to be mad at
0: them. Yeah. <laughs> or just like them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there is something very important there, that especially when we find ourselves in conflict with people to give thanks for them is probably a good thing. Um, it puts a different uh, light on that, recognizing that God indeed has brought this person into your life and is using this all things work to the good. That, that That's coming up in chapter 8, right? right? So can we trust God that the crummy situation that we are in comes from the good. It's gonna work for our good. And so we can say, thank you. Thank you for 2020. Thank you yes. for the coronavirus. Yes. Um, over here first, yeah.
2: I think it's important for us to remember that the other people are never as bad as we think they are. And we are never as good as we think we are.
0: Yeah, um, did you hear that in the back? We are never as, that other people are never as bad as we think they are, and we are never as good as we think we are. Um, I use a, um, a drawing when I teach the confirmation kids sometimes about confession and absolution. Uh, and um, when we confess our, our sins, or when we're dealing with other people and their sins in our lives, it's kind of like having uh, two garbage bags. One is on your back, it's over your shoulder, and the other is hanging from it, it's kind of right here in front of you. So the one in front of you are other people's sins, the things that people have done to you. And boy, that's right there, it's right underneath your nose and it stinks and it's, it's really got your attention. But the much bigger bag is back there and you don't really see it because it's behind you and you're focused on what other people have done instead of what you yourself do. And and so because we're focused on that negative thing, you know, we tend to not be as thankful.
2: There's something else you mentioned today about COVID. And you said 2020 was a bad year. Well, it wasn't. 2020 was a good year. It had some bad things in it. Absolutely. And even with COVID, many, many more people survive it than die from it. Most people who have it have a mild form we never hear about them because it's not newsworthy.
0: Well, I think that we can all agree, though, that this year has been extremely challenging.
2: And it's good for us to be challenged. It
0: is, um, but at the same time, it ain't fun. No,
2: it's tiring.
0: It is, so, yeah. Sharon. I just was thinking that he gives a reason for his thanks. There's
1: uh-huh. a reason in that verse. Yeah. Yes. And we come to faith with all of our brokenness and crazy personalities and the faith that is not only just
0: faith, but it's proclaimed. Yeah, and, and this is something that comes up in a couple of his letters that as he talks about the faith life of the congregation that he is speaking to, you know, it's been it's known in the whole region. and this in the case of Rome, in the whole world. You know, and, and all, all around the Roman Empire, which, as far as they were concerned, was the whole world, um, it's that's known. Kind of like
1: New York City, you know? That's, the center of the universe.
0: That's right. Or Los Angeles. Or Los Angeles, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but to be thankful and, and to pray uh, regarding the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ is a beautiful thing. So Paul's desire has been uh, to visit the Roman Christians. But it's not happened yet at the writing of this letter. I, I want you to look up uh, a passage, um, Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. So Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 10. And I'm, I'm going to read this. Uh, I... I I find that it's helpful to look at a text that is being read. And so, you know, if, if that works for you, you're great. Um, and if not, my apologies. But uh, I think that there's something here for us to think about, you know, with Paul wanting to go to Rome, and it hasn't happened yet. So in, in Acts 16, uh, starting with verse 6, it says, uh, and they, uh, this would be Paul and, and his, uh, uh, his crew that he's doing evangelism work with, And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. This would be modern-day Turkey. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, which is another part of Turkey. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What does this teach us about God's will and our plans.
2: They're not always anywhere alike.
0: They're not always anywhere alike. What I think, else?
1: I think it teaches us about to share the gospel, more, share the gospel, uh, share the message.
0: Yes, that is very much part of what's going on. they They are desiring to share the message. Yeah. And that is part of God's plan for us. But here it is, you know, he's, it's like God is actively hindering Paul. I feel
1: like that happens to us in many ways when we have doors closed. Okay, when doors are closed for us, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's a discerning thing because sometimes those things can be, okay, I should do it later. Okay. And sometimes those things never should come to pass that are in our hand. I mean, I'm talking about spiritual things. I need to talk to this person. Maybe somebody else is led to go.
0: That last bit, I want to make sure maybe somebody else is supposed to go. Yeah. And when something you know, doesn't go the way that we expect it, you know, well, you know, we're facing opposition from the devil or the world. Well, was Paul seeking to do something wrong here? No. And God says, nope, you're not doing it. I got something else for you. Yeah, Flori. That's the question again. I I wonder if that like kinda it of, kinda of goes along with what Amy's saying. they they said this
1: is Jesus or the Holy Spirit preventing this. Okay.
0: I, I think that you can make a good argument that you know w- when we're hindered, we never like to say God you know does anything negative. We always kind of want to you know you know protect Him. You know if something bad happens, well the devil made me do that, or you know the devil was at work in this. But again, in in that passage in, in Romans eight that we you know we'll get to in a couple years, um, <laughs> the. Uh, Um, it, it says God works all things to the good of those who love him and keep his commandments so bad things happen can God use that for the good and then can we say that God is at work in this to bring about something good for us as individuals or for the church at large or for the kingdom you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about, and, and, and some of this comes about because of the, the, the situation with the pandemic, you know, we are so, we, we don't want to deal with suffering. Anything and everything we can do to put suffering on the edges as though the worst thing that could happen to a person is that they would suffer or, you know, that they would die. And I'm not I'm not saying, you know, Woohoo, let's suffer. Woohoo, let's die. But in another sense, if Christ suffered for us, and that is how God brought the greatest good ever into the world, should we not be willing to suffer? Can God bring good into this world through our suffering? Because I can tell you that there have been times where I have seen people who have been through some real nasty stuff in their lives talk about the hope they have in Jesus, and it sounds completely different than when, you know, I've not been through anything, and it's, uh, you know, yay Jesus, and they're like, no, 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 time out. You don't understand. Yeah, it's bad, but Jesus was there with me in the middle of it all. It's like, oh. There's something different about that and God uses that. God uses the difficulties of our lives to display hope and joy and peace. The contrast is is amazing. And here's the the thing that always bothers me about suffering, I don't wanna volunteer to be the one who suffers. But I'm more than glad to be the one who volunteers to help relieve the suffering. But for suffering to be relieved, does not someone need to suffer? And can we serve God by embracing suffering? I think we can. I just am not sure that we really want to. You know, the the inconveniences and the discomforts of it. You know, we're like, hmm, the devil. You know, no, no, the devil. Maybe not. Maybe God is using this for his good, for a bigger plan for his kingdom. So Paul's been hindered coming to Rome. And we're kind of like, you know, why? Why would God hinder him? Partly because the time isn't right, maybe. Partly because he's got a different mode of getting there. Because if you read the book of Acts, those last chapters um, that I recommended a couple of weeks ago, Paul does get to Rome as a prisoner. He's been arrested he spends a couple years under house arrest, and in that whole time under house arrest, he's welcoming people and preaching the gospel. And I can tell you that um, uh, there's some really good uh, historians out there that believe that on that first trip to Rome, that Paul did meet the emperor because that's why he's there. He's there. He appealed to the emperor to judge his case, and they believe that. The first time that he stood before the emperor, he was exonerated. And then he did go on and continue that missionary journey on to Spain. And God gotten him there on Rome's dying. God can use all of these things. But we feel like we need to have it all figured out. Isn't that a little bit of a first commandment issue? You know, the first commandment: you shall have no other gods before me. Where do you put your your your, your trust? Where do you turn to when things go wrong in your life? I, I think that there's a wisdom that's being displayed for us here in in how Paul approaches this whole situation. So. I think that you know, as we've been talking about this, perhaps in the next question that I ask, what might be important about Paul's experience for us as individuals? I think that, that we've started to touch on that, but how might Paul's experience be important to us as a congregation? do we make sure that as a congregation that our hearts and our desires are aligned with God's heart and desire for us as a congregation and I think that there are some things that are obvious you know kind of word and sacrament type of stuff that we are people who are listening to the scriptures that we are receiving the sacraments that we are um, proclaiming the kingdom of God and receiving forgiveness and, and all of those kinds of things. But other things can get a little bit more murky, can't they? Do you or do you not build an expansion? I mean, we're on the other side of that now. But that had to be part of that conversation. Is this aligned with God's will or not? Or is this one of those things that you make a decision and then, you know, okay. Because sometimes I do think that God puts things in front of me and says, A or B? You pick. Yeah.
2: The first time we decided to do an expansion, way before your time, it didn't happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so the history of our congregation, uh, when, when I was called here, uh, one of the first things that was done was you, you set up meetings and I went around to different people's homes and I sat and, and I talked with them, you know, with, with you. Uh, and uh, just kind of get to know people. And I remember, uh, I'm pretty sure it was in Dave Grunenwald's house. Um, There was a member of the prior call committee. And some of you were here when the previous pastor was here. And I'm recording this, so I'm not saying his name out loud because I don't want You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about him, other than it was a rough experience. And there were some bad things that happened. And one of the people at that particular meeting said, we made a big mistake when we called him. And I was like, "Um, maybe not. Maybe he was exactly the person God intended for a period of time here. That's maybe not a comfortable thought. But maybe that actually prepared us for something new in the future. We tend to look at anything that's negative that happens to us and say, no, that was a mistake. I I think we have to be careful with that. I think sometimes we, you know, we need to learn from things that happen. We have to approach them with compassion, living in forgiveness together. But at the same time, to recognize the hand of God in the midst of these difficult things, even as a congregation, is a good thing. You can take this as a good thing or a bad thing. I'm I'm not sure that I would be here without that experience. Because I can tell you that when I heard that story, it really grabbed my heart. And I mean, I was like, I, I told Chris, you know, this is, this is different than any call we've ever received. I'd had about nine calls before this one. And every one of them, you know, it was just like, yeah, now. And then this one, I, I talked with Mrs. Tubergen over there and, you know, and she's telling me the story of the church and I'm just like, oh my. And we knew we were in trouble the moment that we walked in the front doors. And, you know, I mean, literally, it was one of those moments where you kind of grab each other. There's something different here. And I think that you know, God was at work in all of that. He was at work in the stuff that was going on in my old congregation. And not all of that was good either. To do his work in the church yeah
2: sometimes when you do something or don't do something with your children and they get upset and you say I know what I'm doing and this is the right thing to do but then when God does that to us we're like the little kindergarten kid that says but I want to do it this is what I want Yeah. and we seem to think that if I want to do it it must be from God because obviously It's obviously good. Uh, And God sometimes says, no, this is not what I want for you. Or he says, yes, this is what I
0: want. Yeah. And we
2: forget, you know, we have to let God
0: be God. Well, I was just gonna say, it's kind of a first commandment issue. God is God. And that isn't this fatalistic, you know, eh, you know, whatever, but it is a sense of my God is good. And he loves me. Uh And he has promised to do good. And therefore, this thing that does not feel good, there must be something more here. And so then we turn to him in prayer. And we call out to him. And maybe we never understand it in this life. I don't know if we understand it in the next life either. But by then we won't care. But by, by then those become badges of honor. They're the marks of the life of faith.
2: But I think God must get very oi, oi, with us because we are so like kindergarten kids.
0: Well, you know what? I don't think he does because he's God.
2: It doesn't mean he can't go oi, oi, <laughs>
0: Well, we do know that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Are you so dull?
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. What role does prayer play in the life of a congregation? Unity. It brings unity, okay. Yeah? It's like a tuner. I feel like... Interesting. Like a tuner, okay.
1: Okay. And the more you get tuned in, the more you get tuned, the easier it is gets to um,
0: listen to others, and then you can play together.
1: I feel like if
0: you're out of tune, you're constantly
1: going, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with this? And, and prayer is like a conduit to tuning.
0: Yeah, and, and it's not that we're listening to to others per se, but we are listening to an other. Yes you know um you know as we talk with God you know we're asking him and we're talking to him and requesting from him and he will drive us to his word you know and then we will wrestle with that and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more and in all of that he's at work shaping us and i like that tuning us you know uh so that then we have harmony together because we're matched with him. That's it, because when you're you're trying to tune an instrument, you're not listening to any other voices. Right. You have to really
1: hone in and there's a mystery because if everybody's doing that, then when it's time to play together, there's something you can't explain.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important that we're tuning to him and not to each other. Totally. Um, Lucy, uh, our daughter Lucy is playing guitar and she's pretty much kind of self-teaching herself because you know, they're related to my wife and they're stupidly musically talented. And, uh, um, and she's figuring this stuff out and she comes down to me and she's trying to figure out this song and, um, and she's like, I can't understand what's happening with this chord. And I'm listening to it, I'm like, it's tuned differently. So the artist that did the song, they actually tune the guitar in an abnormal way to get a peculiar sound that they want. Uh, And she's like, well, how do I do that? I'm like, well, if it's not somewhere on the internet where you can find it, good luck. So we want to make sure that what we're tuning to is actually, in a sense, the celestial music, the music that God uh, is leading us in. A couple of scripture passages here to think about. Uh, First of all, uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. uh, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And the thing that I often run into when I mention this verse is well, where do we find some righteous people so that they can pray? Well, guess what? We are going to be talking about the righteousness of God that is delivered to you, given from the outside and makes you a righteous person. Which means that your prayers and our collective prayers are indeed powerful and effective. Because of the one to whom we pray. And, and, and notice who is active in prayer. Um, check out I encourage you to get you know, your, your copy of Luther's Small Catechism out and read through the section on the Lord's Prayer, just how Luther explains these things. Um, here's some of it. In the second petition, God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. So we lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity because of what God is doing in our lives. God's the one that's active. Uh, The third petition. God's will is done when he breaks and hinders every evil plan, every evil plan of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature. I love that one. You ever think of God breaking and hindering? You know, um... The fourth petition, God certainly gives daily bread. Uh, Sixth petition, we pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us. The seventh petition, we pray in this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul. And so as a congregation, uh, our life together is really steeped in living in God. And him being at work in us, together and individually. So, Paul continues. He says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I think I just understood something that I didn't understand when I uh, was putting this together. When you read through the scriptures, the the division is usually between Jew and Gentile. Paul is a Jew, and I think that my first thing I would expect to hear is this Jew-Gentile thing. And that's going to come up in, in a little bit here, but he says, I'm under obligation to Greeks and the barbarians. The Greeks are not um, are not Greeks. Uh, The Romans considered themselves to be Greek. Anybody who had culture was a Greek. Paul is talking like a Roman here. You know, because the same way that the Jews have this dichotomy between Jews and Gentiles, you know the Romans had this dichotomy between us and everyone else, and and I think that he's he's speaking their language there. I might need to I might need to think on that a little bit more. Um, why is it important for Paul to see the Roman Christians? What does he want to do? Yeah, Larry. There is definitely something about that, that need to have contact, the need to have contact with with others, and you know. So these are his brothers and sisters in Christ, even though he's never met most of them, uh, and uh, and there's a desire to want to be with them. But he says more about this desire.
1: Reap some harvest.
0: Reap some harvest. Yeah. Some harvest. yeah. Um, Lisa, what were you going to say? I was- So he's going to reap a harvest by being kind of this mutual conversation, this mutual encouragement with each other. Um, Go ahead, Sharon. So there's this desire to come together, and then that will help to push them out to to spread the gospel through Rome. And um, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, because it comes in Romans chapter 16. Paul's hoping that they're going to send them on to Spain. So, okay. Um, Doesn't this letter impart a, a spiritual gift and strengthen them? Isn't that enough? No. No. I've been thinking uh, about this I, This little word, it's not a little word, uh, this word incarnation. It means in the flesh, an um, in incarnational ministry, you know, in many and various ways. It says in the book of Hebrews, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And so we read in John chapter one, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. He became God's presence in the midst of us to let us know that God is here and to communicate his message of forgiveness and life and salvation. God felt that coming in the flesh was the way this needed to be done. And I think that this is part of our life as Christians as well. That we come in the flesh. You know, we, we, we don't just kind of you know, keep people at a distance. We, we have to actually engage in people's lives and be connected to them.
2: Which is why we send out missionaries and not just mail them pamphlets.
0: Right. Right. Because the missionary that is there is, in a sense, the face of God, To or the mouth of God, anyhow, to proclaim. You know this, this message of the, the gospel there. Uh, I think that this is, um, I, I think this is validated by the experience of prisoners of war. You know uh, some of the stuff that I've read about prisoners of war during Vietnam. You know they would try to separate them so they couldn't communicate, and they would isolate them, and they would create tap codes, and you know always trying to do something to get around it, um, and. Uh, I find it fascinating, some of the stories that I've heard about Christians going back and just trying to remember, you know, through this mutual conversation when they can, when they could, they would risk so much just to be able to say, um, I remember our Father who art in heaven. What came next? Oh, I think it was, hallowed be thy name. You know, and that type of a thing. Uh, I remember reading about one. That, he, he remember there was this girl in the Bible named Ruth. What was that about? And by talking with different guys, they roughly got the story. Because this remembered a bit and this remembered a bit. And by being connected to each other, the Spirit worked in the body to bring these things to mind. I think that there's something powerful and important about that connection. And I think that this is one of the things that... Um, it's one of the things I'm wrestling with during this pandemic. Um, you know, people being scattered. People being separated. And um, I, I I understand some of it. I, I get it. Um, but at the same time... I, I, I feel more and more we need to figure out this, this type of face to face stuff. And I'm not saying I've got the answers, and I'm not judging anybody who disagrees with me, because this is hard. But that, that lack of. of well, the, the next point there we're more than spirit. God. Okay, i got bad news for some of you. When you die, you don't become an angel. <laughs> when you die, as far as I can tell, reading the fullness of scriptures, you will have a period of time waiting in paradise as a, your spiritual being will, will wait there for the day of the resurrection. And then you'll receive a new body. God created us to be body and spirit. Bodies matter. This this is part of how he he made us. This is is how he designed us. And I think that there is actually a little bit of a danger of Gnosticism here, that when we look and we say, well, you know, it's just the body. It doesn't matter. This is one of the things that frustrates me at funerals sometimes. You know, people will just say, that's just the body. You know, no. This is me. And yeah, there is a spirit that is part of me. But my spirit is not me. You know, I I think... A story that I heard... um, A a, a mom lost her, her child. Child died. And a friend says, it's okay, it's just the body. And the mom says, but I hugged that body. I washed that body. I held that body. And that's how I displayed love to that person. We can't separate our embodiedness from our spirits. And I'm a little bit concerned sometimes that we're comfortable with, um, and I'm I'm trying to tread lightly here, but I'm also trying to um, push back against some of the, you know, the way that we think about things. I'm I'm a little bit uncomfortable with, I, I can watch the service at home and I'm fine. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am really glad that we have the technology to put this online for people, you know, to be able to hear the word there, because I believe that the word of God does not go out and then return empty. You know, I, I think that, you know, I think that sometimes there are times where you can't come. And boy, oh boy, thanks be to God that we have something that you can grab onto to hear the word. But at the same time, I I worry that I'm good. My spirit has been fed. But my body's really comfy in the jammies on the couch. It's a conversation that I have sometimes with our children about going to school because a lot of their, their classes are online. I'm, I'm ridiculous. I'm like, you know, I think you should get up and get dressed before you go to your class. Take a shower, brush your teeth, set up your little computer, and act like you're in class. We say that to the teachers, too. (laughs) But they're like, you know, but I could get up five minutes before and turn it on and sit here in my bed and be really comfy. Your body matters. It's not just what's going on here. All of this is important. And, you know, I I think that it's when our bodies are together that we have the opportunity to really encourage one another with their faith as we share stories, as we share experiences that happen with our bodies, uh, and we have the opportunity to, you know, speak together in prayer. So I think that you know, this is important, what we're doing. Um, and uh, I'm going to need to wrap up there. So n- n- no shock that I didn't finish the, uh, the session. So next week, um, we, my, the Tritton family are going to make a quick run up to uh, Manistee and uh, see uh, my mom and our son. Um, those of you who don't know, Ricky is living with his grandma. Uh, doing his student teaching. It's kind of a hoot. They're they're like, you know, look what we're doing. (laughs) It's hilarious. Um, Anyhow, we're going to run up there. Vern Bach is going to be here. Uh, Pastor Bach is a neat guy. And uh, um, so he's going to be leading the service for Transfiguration. As I was talking with him, I wanted to teach this. I, I want to have this conversation with you. Um, I don't like the idea of canceling for next week, uh, but um, that is, uh, that's really kind of where I'm at with, uh, with our class for next week. We'll, we'll postpone, and we'll go one more week out. Um, if somebody wants to put something together you know, to have like a one-off type of thing and, um, you know, gather some people together, uh, God bless you. I, I'm, I'd be glad, you know, to uh, communicate that to people. But um, on the whole, we will pick up with some of the most important verses uh, in Romans historically, spiritually um, next week um, or the week after that when we get into uh, Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17. These verses literally changed the world. And um, as part of uh, preparation for that, you have a handout which is part of uh, Luther's works. And uh, this is Luther writing about his experience with the righteousness of God. He says he hated it. Think on that for a second. And then he talks about how this passage formed the way that he viewed the righteousness of God. And that view, then, is at the heart of the Reformation, which actually changed the history of the world. So, in two weeks, we'll come back to that. All right, shall we pray? Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be together today, and we pray that you would that you would bless us and that you would help us to to embrace your word, to embrace who we are, and that you would help us to live in relationship with one another. And we ask that uh, that you would lead us and guide us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody.